Good morning, and welcome to Hillside Online. I'm so glad that you're taking a few moments to jump in and join us for our online experience. Listen, as a, a church, we believe God loves you. Uh, we believe that your best days are ahead, and we believe that your past doesn't define you. And I'm excited to share that with you because today's message is a message on identity. I want to read a short passage out of Matthew chapter 1. Um, these are familiar verses for you if you've ever been part of a church during Christmas. And um, we're going to be looking at just, just the theme and the thread of identity in Christ's life and um, how it influences our life. I want you to see something about Jesus' life here. Um, in verse 20 of chapter 1, after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, and do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I love these verses, and specifically today as I think about the theme of identity, just right out the gate in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is given immediate identity. It um, influences the entire direction of his life. And that's the power of identity. When we know who we are and whose we are, it has a tremendous influence on our day-to-day -day living. Part of the themes of the Christmas story is that we serve a God who came near. Jesus was given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then he was also given the name Jesus, which um, interpreted is the one who redeems, the one who saves. He's the one who has the power to save us from our sins. And as you approach Matthew's gospel, if you were to go ahead and, and read the rest of the gospel story, not only in Matthew, but all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that the nearness of God is appropriate. It is in everything Jesus is doing. Um, in fact, scriptures kind of reveal to us that there's not a day that happens, there's not a moment that happens where Jesus is unsure of his identity. He is rooted in who he is in God, in that loving union and relationship. And I propose to our people all the time, and I want to propose to you that God's called for us to live uh, the same way. He's lived for uh, uh, He's He's called for us. Excuse me. He's invited for us to live rooted in our God given identity. Now, it's not an easy task in this day and age. I have three predominant voices that I think each of us face, not only on a daily basis, but in every season, in any circumstance, in any given scenario of our life, there are three predominant voices that you and I are yielding to. First is the outer critic. Second is the inner critic. And third is the voice of God. 
Now, in any given scenario, every decision we make, most often one of those three voices is at play. And what's wild is that you and I are called to turn down the volume of two of them, I'm sure you can guess which ones, and to turn up the volume of the voice of God. These voices aren't just casual. They're not simple. In fact, Jesus would face these voices in his daily life. Like I love the Christmas story. I love the theme of God um, coming to us, not as an alien, but as a human entering our difficulty, entering our suffering, entering our loneliness, our hardship, our temptation, our trial, entering life. And yet he remains steadfast in his identity as the son of a living God. He modeled a way of life. He taught a way of life. He invites you and I into a way of life where the outer critic, the inner critic, are getting softer and softer and softer. And we find that the voice of God, through his word, through his spirit, is getting louder and louder and louder in our life. That's a big theme of Christmas. It's a big theme of our redemptive story is that we're not distant or far from God, but we've been drawn close to God because of the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. So as I talk about the three today, I hope you will take a moment and give a little thought, give a little reflection, how these are influencing your life and your day-to-day decision-making. So first, think with me about that outer critic I have here listed as the outer critic. These could be uh, your family of origin. Think parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. Think siblings or close family. Uh, Maybe some friends, right? Certainly our enemies. Um, Maybe for you, your employees, or if uh, you're an employee, your bosses or the owner or a business partner could be any arena of life. We have what we call the outer critics. Um, for some, exes show up as an outer critic. Um, for others, right now in your marriage, your spouse, right now it's a season where maybe they're not your biggest cheerleader. We pray that they would be, but maybe it's a season right now where they're they're what we'd call a critic. And an outer critic, somebody from the outside of your being, from the outside of who you are, and they're speaking in to your life. Um, They may knowingly or unknowingly, they may intentionally or unintentionally position themselves to speak, and it's forming and shaping who you are and how you view life, how you respond in life. The outer critic... um, It's not casual or simple. It's actually deep and profound, the influence it can have in our lives. The enemy of our soul, Satan, the accuser, the devil, he will piggyback on the words and actions and deeds of the outer critic. And if we're not careful, those words and actions and deeds, they actually begin to form us and give us a framework for living. I've known in seasons of my own life that I've lived, yielded to the outer critic. It was the loudest voice in my life. And I would spend time exhausting myself really to earn or seek others' approval. Now, it's important to be on good standing with others and 
you know, to be presentable and excellent and loving. But the outer critic, it's ruthless. It's relentless. Like, you never measure up. No matter what you do, what you say, you just can't please them. And sometimes it gets stuck in our head. The enemy um, will use facial expressions or, or slide of hand comments or uh, rude moments, and he'll magnify those so that the outer critic becomes the, the loudest sound in our mind and ultimately our heart, and it has great influence on our direction. The outer critic, I'm sure you're familiar with them. Maybe there was something a, a, a family member or a parent spoke over you, and uh, you, you've not thought about it lately, but when you slow down and reflect, you can recognize, man, that uh, it took root, and um, it's, it's been hard. It's been difficult. And you know what it's like to try to win approval or win favor or please and then to ultimately always, always fall short. This outer critic can be exhausting and Jesus faced outer critics. In the gospel, the religious leaders were critics of almost everything he did. The people he associated with, his vision, his purpose for life. They thought some of the statements were absolutely outlandish and in some cases heretical. And they would critique him, criticize him, slander him. And then as you can imagine, even his closest family was confused and thought in some moments that he was crazy. Believe it or not, Jesus would experience that. And yet, he was rooted in his identity in Christ. I can almost see in moments, interactions with the disciples and with his family that he was just so confident, not in his own strength, but in who and whose he was. I think about uh, Robert. Robert grew up um, in a a broken home. His parents were divorced um, and uh, his, his stepdad at a young age it's nothing but negative. Um, in fact, continually comparing Robert to his older brother. And you know the statements. Robert, why can't you be more like your older brother? Why can't you just figure things out? Why are you such a disappointment? Really just bred fear and failure and disappointment. Continually thwarting his dreams. And Robert, as a young kid, as you can imagine, did the best as any of us would. And tried to step forward in life, but he could never overcome what was spoken over him. It was, it was like his life, his soul was a sponge for those words that were spoken. And he grew up insecure, um, low self-esteem, lacking confidence, and eventually graduated high school and took a job as a janitor at a small business complex. And nothing wrong with that career, but his parents ended up remarrying. So he traded his first stepfather for another stepfather right as he was coming into young adulthood. And this stepfather was completely opposite. This stepfather was kind, loving, and probably most of all, we would say he was generous. And he started coaching and mentoring and really parenting. Robert came alongside of him and said, hey, um, what do you want to do with your life? Like, like, what are some of your dreams? What are, what are some of your ambitions? And it, follow the thread with me. Robert's 
identity was, was, was low. He did not know who he was and whose he was, and he didn't even know that, that he could accomplish things in life. And so he just said, ah, I, f- I feel settled. I feel content. I'm, I'm, I'm fine just working in this, this office complex. And his stepdad challenged him, this new stepdad, and said, look, Robert, um, man, you, you, you've got a destiny. You are so smart. You are, you are cutting. I mean, you have an intellect that's brilliant. I, 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 I don't mean to uh, downplay the role you're playing, but I feel like you have so much more to give society and, and, and to give our culture. And so, so the stepdad didn't just reinforce with his words, but he started putting his actions and money behind it. He, he made a deal with his uh, stepson. He said, Robert, look, he said, if you go to, if you go to college, I'm going to pay for everything. I'll pay for your degree. I'll pay for your books. I'll pay for your meals. I'll make sure it gets covered. Something came alive in Robert. And so he would work and go to school and he got his bachelor's degree. Then he got his master's degree. And then he went to get his doctorate. And the time came for him to tell his stepdad he, he wanted to get another doctorate. And his stepdad looked at him and said, well, hold on. Now you're on your own, Robert. His stepdad had obviously paid for a bachelor, a master's, and a doctorate. But the point and premise of the story is that Robert was living according to the identity. And he could never rise above where he had settled and where he had found himself. And the outer critic has a way of limiting our life. The voices are loud and they're harsh and they're hard. And the outer critic can cripple us many times from moving into our destiny and all who God has called for us to be. For me, I've had to wrestle the outer critic in my own life, being a family from a different country. And now you may be watching this and think, man, you don't look any different or sound any different. And I get it. But if you had seen me in junior high, (laughs) I may not have looked very different from others, but I sounded very different. And um, it formed within me uh, an identity where I was different. I didn't belong in Some of those thoughts, they got rooted in my inner life, got down deep, as I would say. And over the last several years, God has just shown me who I am, that I'm not limited to the outer critic. I don't have to yield to the voices living to seek the approval of others, but I can live surrendered, submitted, and yield to who he says that I am, that I can step in and experience all of his blessings and promises in and over my life. And so for each of us, the outer critic is, it's an area we've got to deal with. We've got to turn the volume down on the outer critic. For others, your battle may not be as much the outer critic, but the inner critic. We are our own worst critic. You've probably heard that phrase. But the inner critic is one who's believed the outer critic to such an extent that it is the loudest voice in their life. That um, every time you make a mistake or you have a misstep, you beat yourself up, you condemn yourself. And it leaves you paralyzed to move forward. You rarely feel confident. You rarely feel loved and accepted and whole. But you continue to revisit brokenness, 
pain, failure, uh, wounds by others, and you begin to live in that identity. Now here's something I do need to say. You very possibly, there's no doubt in my mind, if you've given your life to Christ, you're saved. Um, you have eternity with him. But this message is about the now. It's about the life you're leading here and now. And if you give yourself to the outer critic, or if you give yourself to the inner critic, you're not experiencing the fullness of all that God has for you and who he's called you to be and how he's destined you to not only accomplish things for him, but just to live in his peace and his rest. See, the gospel story is a story of Jesus and his goodness and his kindness and his reconciliation that he made a pathway for you and I to not live life under the yoke of the outer critic, not under the bondage of the inner critic that continually defeats and disappoints us, but to live up under the voice of God where you and I can live as daughters and sons of the living God. Our identity is rooted in Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, he says, remember that formerly you were Gentiles. So formerly we were distant, we were apart, we were away from God. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Incredible passage about the redeeming and reconciling nature of God. You see, God is inviting you and I to experience his nearness. Now, Christmas is a season we reflect and we think about well, of course, we celebrate. God came to earth. Wonderful, wonderful. And on a surface level, we know that to be incredibly true, profound, life-changing. But God isn't wanting it simply to be a knowledge that is intellectual. He's wanting it to be a knowledge that is experiential, intimate. Greek word is gnosko. It's uh, intimacy to describe between a man and a woman as Adam knew Eve, it's the same word for knowing God. It's a loving union where we experience relationally a life in Christ. It's eternity and we can experience it in this life that every day we can be rooted, settled in our identity. We don't have to rush around, striving, seeking to prove our worth, to make a way in this world, but we can rest and be whole as sons and daughters of the living God. I want to close with something we'll be giving out in our in-person services. 
It's a small little document. It says, who does God say that I am? And on this left column here, it's got the descriptive that you're wonderfully made, created in his image, on purpose, loved of God, chosen, forgiven, hope in a future, to do good works, and on it continues. And then on this right side, it's got the scripture passages. It's my prayer, it's my hope that for each one of us, we would step into not what our outer critic says, what our inner critic says, but who God says that we are. How I practice this on a daily basis is I look for life's trigger points. For me, anxiety is a good trigger point. I look for moments where I'm triggered and I think to myself, how am I about to respond? Am I going to respond from voices that circulate about an outer critic, like I wanna win people's approval? Or I've gotta defend myself? Or am I gonna respond as the inner critic that I've somehow got to stand up for my rights? And, uh, defend my name? Or can I be settled in who God says that I am? Receive anxiety and operate peacefully, calmly. My prayer and my hope for you is that in this season, you would sense God's nearness, and his presence, and his kindness in your life, and that you would step into who he says that you are. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for this morning. I thank you for every person taking in our online service. God, the voices of the outer critic, the inner critic are loud. And I pray you'd give us great grace. Equip us, Lord, to turn the volume up on who you say that we are. For some of us, God, we need to just remind ourselves that we're the beloved of God. That you have a purpose, you have a plan, and a calling and a destiny over our life. For some of us, God, we need to Slow down, reflect, lean into that reality. Give us the grace we need, Holy Spirit, to repent, to confess, and to draw near to you. Experience your love and kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.